Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. I have, uh, I'm very excited about our, our program today. Let me give you a little background of how uh, I uh, got to this uh, this particular program. As you know, I've, I've been on the theme and on the case uh, looking at digital technologies and uh, how they're not only impacting our world, but how they're impacting our museums. And last week, uh, many of you, I'm sure, listened or you will listen today uh, to my interview with Michael Edson uh, from the Smithsonian talking about how particularly scale is uh, shifting the way we th- we need to be thinking about our digital technologies, and it was a great interview. And it was, but it was pretty philosophical uh, in many regards. So I wanted to pair that more philosophical discussion with a practical application of some of the ideas that Stephen and other are talking about. And so I am thrilled to have with me today. Uh, uh, Stephen Watson, who is the executive vice president of the National D-Day Museum, the national, which, uh, well, actually it started out as the National D-Day Museum in New Orleans. It is now the National World War II Museum. It is recognized by Congress as a national museum, and it has the distinction. Uh, I know Stephen will talk to us about some of the challenges of being, uh, having the distinction of being the only national museum that is not on the Washington, D.C. Mall uh, and what what that means. Now, uh, this is is a phenomenal uh, museum. If you haven't had an opportunity to visit, I know after this show you will want to do that. They have uh, currently over 500,000 visitors a year and 130,000 active members. Uh, The museum uh, really is providing a valuable case study for for the field, especially in the uh, use of digital technologies and civic engagement. Uh, I'm going to let Stephen tell you uh, more about himself and his uh, 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 career trajectory and particularly some of the things that have molded his uh, ideas and his philosophy about uh, about museums. And so without further ado, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carol. It's a, a great pleasure to be here. And uh, uh, I was one of those folks that listened to your show last week and your interview with Michael, and uh, it was uh, terrific. And, and he is a, a thought leader uh, in our, our space and uh, has been uh, uh, a great help to our museum and, and challenged us to think big and, and think differently. So it was it was great to hear the show uh, last week. Um, my... Uh, my background is not one that you know you might expect to uh, end up in a museum in New Orleans. I'm uh, originally from Scotland, 
born and raised there and, and came to the United States for college and uh, always had a love of history and uh, have a, a, an educational background in business. And, and after I finished uh, school, ended up actually working for National Public Radio. And uh, it was uh, there that I really, you know, began to get a sense of, you know, public service, um, the importance of, you know, digital technology as the, the radio itself was going through some of those transitions back in the, the late 90s and early 2000s. And uh, right around that time, this uh, great new museum opened in New Orleans, the National D-Day Museum, and I was fortunate uh, to uh, have an opportunity to come here not long after uh, it opened in 2000. And uh, over the last 15 years, uh, since we've been open, or almost 15 years, it's really been uh, an amazing uh, period of growth. We've had challenges and, and things I think we'll talk a little bit about later, but um, amazing to see how this museum uh, that started as uh, an idea of two uh, history professors, uh, our founder Stephen Ambrose and, and our current CEO Nick Mueller, uh, what went from that, that idea to have a museum that tells the story of the D-Day invasion of Normandy to this significant national museum that's uh, grown and evolved over 15 years. But um, specific to digital technology, I think there's several things that have shaped and influenced my thinking, and I think just in general our, our museum culture around this, and I think one of the important things is we are a young museum, and uh, we, we, we come to this, I think, later than a lot of museums, and, and perhaps um, digital technology has always been a component of life since this museum has been open. Um, we also come to it with a real commitment to being a national museum, and therefore, what are the creative ways that we can reach audiences, not only through visitation and programs here in New Orleans, but by other means. So digital is obviously uh, a big part of that. Um, and we have a big story to tell. You know, this is a museum that tells the story of the American experience in World War II, um, arguably the biggest event of the 20th century. And with that comes a responsibility to really be obsessed about the ways that we can fulfill that mission. Um, so it's a national museum with a big story. Um, so those were really uh, principles that sort of you know, drove us to digital technology as one of the tools that we have to deliver educational programming. A couple other things along the way that have really um, been influential to me are just watching the trends in higher education. You know, the transformation and the challenges that higher education has with meeting the needs of students, the growth of for-profit online education, and now, you know, traditional universities getting into that space. Um, it's been interesting to see how the higher education space has has struggled and, and uh, embraced digital technology, and in some ways is a is a good uh, a good place for all of us in the museum sector to look and, and see what's changed and how they're uh, adjusting to serve their audiences. So, all of those things coming together, um, along with the fact that one of the things we've always done here is research and really try and understand who our audiences are. And uh, in 2009, we actually did a, a national uh, qualitative um, and quantitative study 
just to understand what the interest uh, is in World War II in this country. Who are the people that are interested? How do they currently engage? Um, it really wasn't about the museum at all. It was just giving us uh, a great assessment of you know, how many people in, are interested in this subject, how do they currently engage with it, what are the things they're interested in experiencing. And it really helped us, again, understand how if all we do is have this great museum in New Orleans, there are a lot of people that we're not going to touch through digital media and, and other types of outreach initiatives. So all of those things coming together um, have really influenced us and made digital a fairly significant component of uh, our outreach here at the museum. I, th- I think that's very interesting, uh, uh, this idea that you did a national survey on what could be considered your core audience, people who already have a predisposition to be interested in the story or doing research on this story, uh, and, and looking at that as an audience to serve uh, through whatever means, as opposed to uh, trying to do a general survey to almost you know a, a, anyone and, and everyone and then trying to identify, you know, how you take people who maybe aren't in that core group and move them into that core group. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that, that, that thinking? Yeah, I think the, the thinking really started with, um, you know, really we wanted to try and understand the, you know, first of all, the size of the audience that existed right now, um, just to get a sense of, you know, how, how many people are there in this country that, you know, uh, put their hand up and say, we're interested in World War II. So we went into it not knowing that. And, and that was one of the things that we wanted to really understand. And, and what we found is that about, you know, 15% of the adult population in this country have a, a you know, a, a demonstrated interest in, in World War II history. And that can be from very passive to, you know, we enjoy watching military history movies to very active, which is belonging to organizations, taking trips, visiting museums, you know, uh, what have you. So it was, it was for us to, you know, we felt like we had, uh, as we really began to uh, ramp up our outreach programs and we're looking at investments in digital outreach, digitization of collections, traveling exhibitions, um, expanding our, our travel study programs. We, what really drove it was wanting to make sure that some of these things that we believe to be true um, were actually the things that uh, people were interested in experiencing and, uh, and that there were significant audiences out there that would help us feel more uh, confident and comfortable about placing some big bets on, you know, moving forward with investing in staff and technology and, and other things to build those programs. So um, it wasn't so much that we didn't want to, you know, convert those that were not interested. It was more of a uh, how do we really deeply understand, you know, what people are interested in and how do we think about how we can serve those needs better. I uh, <clears throat> thank you for uh, doing that explanation, and I don't want to derail uh, derail our digital conversation. But just as a as as a as a point, that this is uh, to me also another area that is so very important for museums to to be doing. And I think sometimes we uh, we leap, you know, we we go to step two 
uh, in our audience uh, identification before we go to step one, uh, which is looking at at uh, what that interest is in people who do have a general interest and what that what what that potential is. I think it also shows that you have great respect uh, for your for your uh, current and future audiences, and I think that that too is probably uh, filtered in. Um, to to the decisions that you've made uh, for the museum. Absolutely, yeah, yep, that's true. So um, now I know that uh, you and I. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, this issue that you've alluded to, and and I do too. In the introduction, is you are a national museum. You're you're uh, recognized by Congress as a national museum, but you're not in Washington D.C. So how how do you you know how do you balance that? Uh, you know, trying to be national, but not being here on the uh, the typical tourist circuit who is coming to the uh, to Washington to uh, look at our national history um, great question I think a couple things I think one uh, you know we we believe that we have you know uh, you know one of the finest museums of any kind in the country and and uh, that's the approach that we've taken to this to, you know, make sure that the physical campus here and the exhibitions and the programs that we have are, you know, they they are of what we believe is a, you know, a a national standard that we would compare to any institution. Um, I think the part, again, this goes back to digital technology, is we know that we will never have as many people, you know, visiting as we would if we were in Washington or New York and or you know another you know uh, top ten market. So what that comes back to is you know sort of a a commitment to work twice as hard on outreach, twice as hard on the other components of our mission that uh, allow us to interact with um, constituents outside of New Orleans or beyond a visitation experience. So. Um, I think that's something that's at the forefront of our mind, um, and that's why, you know, digital access to collections, distance learning uh, technologies that we've committed to for K-12, through um, other types of initiatives that we have with partner organizations like National History Day, um, the college programs we have, the study abroad, the residential summer programs, the international conference that we put on, um, those are all initiatives that primarily draw from audiences outside of, of uh, New Orleans and, and South Louisiana. So I think we, we felt that, you know, we're a national museum. We love New Orleans. This is a great market and a special place. Um, the city has embraced us, and uh, we're in a great part of town. And this will always be the core and the, the center of, of what this museum is. But um, not being in D.C., I think, uh, sort of drives us all to work twice as hard on those other components of outreach that, that allow us to fulfill our mission and serve uh, audiences beyond uh, just a visit to the museum in New Orleans. Um. Well, since you are in New Orleans, the next obvious uh, question for me to ask is uh, how did Hurricane Katrina impact your operations uh, and how did you move forward after that? Uh, You know, obviously we're talking about digital, but I'm sure that there are other areas as well since it affected not only your your building, but I'm sure the the staff, the people that, uh, that live in New Orleans. Absolutely. You know, uh, as we all know, uh, 
Hurricane Katrina was a you know a devastating and and, and tragic thing, and I still think to this day, um, you know, a lot of people really don't realize the the scale of the devastation in the city. It was really you know just uh, you know beyond comprehension unless you actually physically saw it. So it had a it had a, a you know, uh, a pretty hard impact on us. You know, thankfully, uh, this museum is in the warehouse district of New Orleans, which is one of the old neighborhoods, and we did not flood. Um, we had a little bit of storm damage, but really n- nothing uh, significant uh, that that uh, affected the physical campus. The The big challenge was, you know, there were no there were no tourists in town. Um, you know, the local community was was you know given a pretty significant body blow, and most people here were focused on rebuilding their lives for the first year and a half. So the biggest challenge for us was economic. Um, you know, uh, like most museums, visitation was a significant component of what uh, made the operations work here. So we had to let go about 60% of the staff. Um, we were uh, down to about 30 of us uh, right after the storm, and uh, we all pulled together. But it was another one of those moments where um, it sort of forces you to think a little differently about how you serve your audiences and, and continue to provide value and be relevant. And uh, one of the things that, that came out of uh, you know this this awful event was it, it gave us more clarity about outreach and, and committing to digital technology. And one of the first things that happened in the months after Katrina was we established our uh, distance learning program through uh, a compressed video technology that uh, we deliver content directly into classrooms all across the country in a very interactive and rich way. Um, with our educators uh, seeing the students, our students seeing the educators, we bring multimedia into it. So, um, you know, almost 10 years ago now, we were we were out and delivering educational programs through compressed video in a pretty rich way. And we probably would have gotten to that anyway, but we certainly wouldn't have gotten to it as quickly. And it really kick-started, I think, the the mindset here that this is a holistic and central part of of what we do, and uh, really, it was from that event that uh, I think it accelerated those commitments and accelerated the the program that we have through digital. Very interesting. Uh, thank you. I mean, so it, it it's good things can come out of bad experiences, or you know, it's 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 uh, how how you uh, approach. Um, you know, so uh, the the realities of life and and uh, and move forward in a positive way. I think that's a that's a good lesson for many of us uh, on our personal and professional le- uh, uh, lives. We are before we uh, continue on. Uh, we are going to take a very short break, but when we come back, we're going to be continuing uh, to talk with uh, with Stephen about uh, some some of the uh, digital projects that he is most proud and. And in honor of Michael Edson, who taught me uh, so much in the last weeks, I would like to invite our listeners um, to follow us on Twitter. You can read.
reach me at at newsright. That's w uh, r i t e uh, hashtag museum underscore life. Uh, so uh, please feel free to uh, to chatter and talk, and uh, maybe we'll be able to uh, get to some of your questions as well. So we will be back in a moment uh, with museum life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome, welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and yes, I will be changing that uh, that announcement here in the next couple of weeks to uh, to keep up with our digital technologies here at uh, Voice America. Stephen, uh, you have uh, given us, I think, a very good background as to you know your background and some of the the uh, uh, constraints and opportunities uh, that you faced at the World War II Museum. Can you tell us, uh, give us some insights into those digital projects that you're most excited about right now? Yes, absolutely. Um, the The project I'm most excited about is uh, our our commitment to our the, the digitization of our collections. In fact, uh, we just launched the sort of beta version of that online about six months ago at <clears throat> www.online.org. And uh, I'm most excited about that because one of the things we did uh, two or three years ago was we really sat down and, and thought about, you know, beyond the completion of our, our physical campus here in New Orleans. And just to give the listeners a little context, we're about two-thirds of the way through um, our capital campaign and, and the physical build-out of our pavilions. 
So about two years ago, we sat down and already began to think about, you know, um, beyond the completion of the master plan, what is the, what's the, the next big, you know, uh, frontier for the museum? And what became clear was that, um, again, you know, digital technology, access to our collections, and how we use those collections to um, develop new programs and, and opportunities was, was going to be a key to our, our long-term uh, mission fulfillment as well as generating new partnerships and, and programs. So um, I'm most excited about that commitment. Our collections are not nearly as vast as, as a Smithsonian institution, but one of the things we're very proud of is um, our commitment to oral history. Uh, we have almost 8,000 World War II veteran oral histories in our collection, hundreds of thousands of uh, images, archival materials, archival footage. Um, it's a rich collection. It's a personal collection. We have um, great diaries and documents and letters. And uh, we've collected a lot of these materials over the last decade to support the physical expansion of the museum campus. But obviously, only a very small portion of those will go into the permanent exhibits. So that is the most exciting project to me because that project um, is like the engine, our digital engine that allows us to do more. So we are uh, about two and a half years into that. Um, we've launched the, the first phase of it. We continue to actively digitize and bring new material forward. And we tried to do this in a way where the digitization project thought of the online environment and the end user first. So one of the first things we did was gathered all the smartest people in the country that are in the archive and museum and, and digital technology business, and we brought them to New Orleans, and we said, here's where we are. We're just at the starting line. Tell us all the things that you think you've done well, and tell us all the mistakes you've made. And we really used that as a way to you know, try and uh, make good decisions. And one of the things we did was we user-tested every component of our our technology on uh, high school students, um, actually in a partnership with National History Day in, in College Park, Maryland. So you'll see on our collections website, as you search for material, um, it's a very rich vocabulary. There's contextual search items. It's easy to find materials. You search across collections. If you're searching through our oral histories and you want to you know, hear about prisoner of war experiences. Um, you'll be taking directly to that segment of the oral history where the veteran's talking about that. So it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, really rich and easy to navigate uh, system, and we're very excited about that. And uh, we think that will give us the ability to develop other types of programming uh, around it. So that that's the core. Um, there are other things. We have a great. Uh, a great project we just launched this spring around digitization of our uh, yearbooks, high school yearbooks from World War II, which has just been uh, a phenomenal success where high school students can actually see themselves in, in a way that, you know, one of the things we always try and do here for students is help them understand the war and see it through the perspective of students at that time. And these high school yearbooks from World War II are really just amazing materials. They're, they're funny, they're sad, they're full of, of stories of, of you know, students that have gone off to war, and they're a great tool to engage um, our high school uh, students in, in digital programs all across the country. 
So that's another program we have launched. And I think generally, the other thing that's really exciting to me, and Michael Edson talked a little bit about this last week, is what I've seen here in the last uh, three years is, is just how our staff embrace digital technology and outreach as a fundamental and integral part of everything we do. So um, our International World War II Conference is now webcast live. Um, all of our exhibits have a digital companion piece that's developed with it. Um, just about every component of our educational program has a digital, out, digital outreach component. Our resources for teachers and students are online, are rich and continuously growing. So all across the, the museum, um, digital is, is embraced in, in uh, many different places. And uh, we have a, a digital team of about 10 folks, but we also have digital folks in the content areas like collections and education and research. So um, I think uh, you or Michael last week referred to, you know, the web guy that was downstairs in a room all by himself. Um, you know, we've really tried to, to break out from that and just make it a, a sort of core part of our, our existence. And I think what happens when you do that is great ideas and, and innovations come from the staff and that yearbooks project is an, a great example of that. Um, and, and we have other uh, initiatives with uh, Victory Gardens and Science and Technology of World War II that were created prelim, you know, primarily for a digital format. So um, I'm just excited to see how, um, as, a, as a staff and as an institution, um, it's become a core part of what we do, and it's, and it's a core part of how we think about the development of programs and exhibits and outreach from, from the outset. But at the core of all of that is the collections and providing access to them um, in a, an innovative and compelling way. Uh, I think that, thank you, Michael. Uh, 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 sorry, Stephen. I think the two of you are 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 very uh, copacetic uh, in in your discussions, and and uh, I, I know as I travel around the country uh, and meet with uh, with my clients and and uh, other museum professionals, there there can often be you know sort of the deer in the headlights of. Um, uh, phenomena of you know, if you're an existing institution and you're already moving forward on a lot of projects, uh, they don't. They have to almost re-engineer their 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 programming and their attitude. Uh, perhaps they don't have the luxury of embedding uh, people with digital skills in all of the departments. Although I'm sure that will change as the next generation of of uh, young adults uh, move into the museum field and and you know just feel comfortable swimming in this digital environment. Mm-hmm. But. But um, I was wondering what uh, what advice can can you give uh, other museum professionals or your colleagues about how to start thinking about these things now? What kind of questions they might be asking, uh, and how might they begin uh, to to uh, to move forward in this uh, digital world? Well, one thing I would say about all of this is. Uh, the truth is we're all just getting started and uh, anyone that thinks they have figured all of this out and, and you know, uh, 
has the perfect solution to this, I think is maybe wrong. But I think I think that's the first thing that we've sort of embraced here is that learning and failure are a natural and okay part of the process. So as we have made these commitments to, you know, staff, digitization, new programs, you know, social media, all the different aspects of this, um, we've made a commitment to learn, you know, to get better, to find tangible and meaningful ways to to have an impact. And I think that um, one part of advice that I would give is that, you know, um, you got to think about, you know, where are we going to add value? You know, what's the one place where we can do one thing where we can add value? You know, there's a lot of different places you can look at with digital technology. There's there's social media, there's, you know, email communications, there's the digitization of content, there's things you can do on the marketing side. And it's easy to be, as you said, I think overwhelmed by all of this. But at the end of the day, you know, what is the, what's the one thing with, with your mission first where you can make a difference, um, have an impact, and, and do more than you're doing right now? And I think that it's, it's kind of what brought us back to our collections, our content, because we believe at the end of the day that that commitment is the one that's going to um, have the greatest opportunity for scale that's going to drive innovations amongst our staff and our, our, our audiences. And I think, you know, um, for a smaller museum director that may not have as many resources, I think um, it's easy to get drawn into things like social media and, and other components of that, which I think are good communication tools and I think an important part of what we're doing. But um, I think you have to stop for a minute and look at, you know, what exhibit do we have? What public program do we have where if we were to, you know, add another layer to this that we could serve a new audience and, and provide some value that we're not doing um, right now? Um, the other suggestion I would have is to look outside of the museum sector. Um, you know, there's some great things happening in museums, but some of the best ideas and the, the best inspiration that I've had over the last decade have come from some of the cause-based charities. Um, and you can look at the uh, animal rights sector. You can look at environmental. Um, increasingly in the last decade, there's some you know, just amazing things happening with veteran support organizations. But at the core, these organizations, I think, are, are maybe better than a lot of us in the museum sector at um, thinking about how they... Uh, advocate for their mission, how they deliver programs and, and opportunities for engagement digitally because there is no physical campus. There is no um, thing that, that um, focuses a lot of their time and energy. Their, all of their time and energy is focused on uh, mission, advocacy, um, and and accomplishing some form of change or movement within their, their specific area. And uh, some of my greatest uh, learning has come from looking to that sector and, and seeing how they use digital technology to engage their audiences and, and, and create great, greater advocates for their mission and raise money and, and do all of the things that you can do with digital technology. 
That is very, very interesting. Uh, uh, and I... I I didn't think of that either. That there would there would be parallels, but as you know, the moment you say it, of course there is. These are these are organizations that are have a strong commitment uh, to a cause, just as museums have a strong commitment to maintaining their collections. They're people of great passion, and they've created these uh, digital communities, uh, uh, um, affiliations. And uh, and and that that is very interesting. Can you give us uh, maybe one quick example of uh, something that you've specifically learned from one of one or more of these cause-based charities? Um, a specific example, um, I think. Uh, you know, I think you can look to. You know, we obviously look. Uh, a lot in the military sector because it has a, uh, a, a great crossover with our audience. I think if you look at some of the the things that the the Wounded Warrior Project has done to build their brand, um, uh, empower um, wounded warriors through their educational programs, uh, raise money, um, I think uh, they've done a, a really, I think, tremendous job all across the board. And I think one of the things that they've done is how they've used video to tell their stories. And uh, if, you, if you spend some time on their website and, and really look at how they, they tell a story and they, they show how they're fulfilling their mission in a very compelling way and, and direct way, um, clearly they have... Um, a very compelling mission in the work that they're doing. But if you step back from that for a minute and think about how powerful a tool video is to tell stories, um, I don't know if, if we as museums use that enough to showcase the great work that we're doing in caring for our collections and providing educational opportunities. And that's one direct example where um, in the last two years we've tried to produce a lot more video to tell the story that traditionally we would have put in a, a printed piece or uh, uh, an email communication or we would have taken some photos. And, uh, you know, we have a couple of great pieces where we have visitors talking about the importance of the museum or we actually show the work that we're doing to conserve and, and take care of artifacts firsthand. And sometimes it's just little things like that that, um, are much more powerful than and and much more direct a way to communicate with your constituents about the good work that you're doing. And again, for us as a national museum, the more tools that we have to show that in a more powerful and engaging way is important because our some of our constituents are not able to come and tangibly tangibly touch the museum and see some of these things on a on a frequent basis. Thank you. Uh, that's a great example uh, and uh, uh, one that I think will help many of our, our listeners and spark new ideas for them. Uh, we are going to take our second short break, and when we come back, Stephen is going to share with us what is uh, the exciting things that are on the horizon for the uh, World War II Museum. So we will be back in a moment. Remember, you can follow along uh, uh, Send me a tweet at, at MuseWrite, uh, hashtag museum underscore life. We will be back in a moment.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. And as you know, we're we're talking with Stephen Watson, and he's given uh, all of us some really good things to be thinking about, uh, good questions to be asking, and opportunities to pursue as we look at uh, how we can use digital technologies. And Stephen, I now want to give you uh, the remainder of our program to talk about uh, all of the exciting things that are coming up with the World War II Museum. As you said, you're, you're, you're still in the process of developing your pavilions, and so I'd like you to paint um, a word picture for our listeners about what is there now and what is going to be opening very soon. Great. Absolutely. Thank you. So uh, um, we have a really exciting year ahead of us. Um, you know, our, our campus right now is about two-thirds complete, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, when you come to the museum today, um, there's many rich and, and great exhibit experiences. We have our original um, uh, D-Day Normandy uh, gallery uh, in our Louisiana pavilion. Um, we have an exhibit dedicated to the uh, major amphibious invasions in the Pacific theater of World War II. 
Um, and an exhibit that sets up um, all of that in the context of what was happening on the home front here during the war uh, as well. Th- those are the galleries that were the core of the D-Day experience when we opened um, uh, in 2000 and then the D-Day exhibits that opened in 2001. We also have a, a really uh, uh, just amazing 4D experience that we produced with Tom Hanks as the executive producer um, and a gentleman called Phil Hedema, who for 14 years was the uh, creative VP at Universal Studios, and it's uh, it's really an epic 45-minute uh, uh, 4D experience that takes the visitor on uh, a journey through the, the the high points, you know, good and bad of uh, America's experience during World War II, and and really it's a great introductory experience for many of our visitors and. Uh, something that has become very uh, powerful for our school groups that, you know, have a limited amount of time to spend in the museum and uh, want a really rich and full experience. We also have uh, uh, a live entertainment venue, not something that you might expect in a museum, uh, a stage door canteen. Uh, Many people uh, have probably heard of the USO, but they may not have heard of the stage door canteens, which were uh, entertainment venues that existed in World War II, and they were in New York and Boston and Philadelphia and London and Paris, and were places where the troops could go and be fed and entertained um, by you know some of the, the leading entertainers of the time. And uh, so it has a rich history. Uh, we have our own stage door canteen here at the museum. We have our own uh, troop of entertainers that are on staff here, and a, a great entertainment director in Victoria Reed. And we do about 180 live shows in the Stage Door Canteen every year, as well as about 100 shows all across the world with our Victory Bells, which are our uh, tribute to the Andrews Sisters. Um, we have a great restaurant called the American Sector, and uh, our most recent pavilion that opened last year, the U.S. Freedom Pavilion, the Boeing Center, showcases um, the real core of our macro artifact collection, um, we have six aircraft, uh, including uh, a B-17 bomber, uh, the largest aircraft of any kind, as we understand, to be suspended from a, a structure in our uh, Boeing Center. It's really dramatic. Imagine a, a B-17 bomber um, suspended at 100 feet as you come into this beautiful exhibition pavilion. And uh, we also have in that pavilion a series of exhibits dedicated to submarine warfare, the Medal of Honor recipients from World War II, and uh, a series of short uh, what-would-you-do dilemmas that actually put the visitor into an actual situation. And at the end of it, um, you have to decide what you would have done, and you vote, and you see how uh, other visitors you know, voted uh, w- with that uh, dilemma. So it's a big campus. There's lots of pieces to it. Um, it's already, uh, for a portion of our visitors, a multi-day stay, and, uh, and we're very, very proud of, of the exhibits as they exist right now. Um, this December, we open um, really uh, the signature component of the expansion. Um, we call it the sort of heart and soul of the story, our Campaigns of Courage Pavilion, which will open in two phases. Uh, this December, we will open our Road to Berlin phase, which really chronicles the entire story of the war in uh, Europe from start to finish, um, beginning uh, in North Africa, where we uh, 
had a pretty tough time against the Germans um, all the way through to the end of the war um, in Germany. And uh, it's done in a very uh, rich, scenic environment, um, great layers of content from the very traditional use of iconic artifacts, um, graphics, text, multimedia, short videos, um, interactive stations where you can reach our oral histories. And one of the real signature pieces of uh, this pavilion that builds on really um, one of the signatures of the museum going back to the beginning is the use of personal stories and oral history to draw people in in a very emotional and personal way to these big events. And uh, you asked earlier what are some of the digital projects I'm most excited about. I didn't mention this one because I knew we were going to talk a little bit about the pavilion at the end, but um, one of the signature experiences that we will introduce with the opening of this pavilion is uh, an experience we're calling the dog tag experience. So that when a visitor comes to the museum um, starting in December, uh, they'll buy a ticket and they will actually uh, be given a small uh, dog tag and they will go on uh, a recreation of a 1940s Pullman train car. And just like a lot of men and women went off to war on a train from their hometown, our visitors will begin their journey here and they will go on the train and you will select an individual that you will follow throughout your journey. You will use your dog tag, which has an RFID chip in it, and you will be able to choose from you know, theater of operations, branch of service, and you'll pick an individual, you'll be introduced to them, and throughout the campaigns of Courage Pavilion, you will check in with that individual at four points, and you will hear what was happening to them and what their experiences were at that point throughout the war. You will also be able to use that dog tag to collect content as you go through the exhibits. You'll be able to tag content so that when you get home, um, you'll have a, a link in an email. You'll click on it. You'll be able to hear the full story of your individual again that you followed as well as additional information. You'll be able to see all of the content that you tagged throughout your visit. And we will share with you complimentary content that uh, relates to the collections that you and the artifacts that you chose when you were on site. So, for example, if you read a letter uh, from a serviceman to his wife and uh, it, you, you really thought it was very compelling and, and, and personal and you tagged it because you wanted to be able to read it again when you got home, um, we might share with you the 10 other letters from that collection that we have that are not on display so that you get to see you know, a, a series of communications between this man and his wife as opposed to just the one letter that's on display in the exhibit. So it's another tool that sort of takes the physical experience here at the museum, combines it with our collections and our digital technology to create a richer uh, visitor experience and extend it beyond uh, your, your time here in the galleries in New Orleans. So we think this is going to be a really new, exciting um, component of the visit. And uh, in addition to you know, uh, bringing the entire story of, of the war in Europe to our visitors this December. It gives them a very personal and, and unique way to, you know, understand one person's perspective throughout that entire time and, and to gather content along the way that's of most interest to them. 
that's you know that's very interesting and i i i think that this is an example where uh it's been a, an idea that has been uh tried and used by other institutions the holocaust museum uh had an earlier uh version of this uh yeah. others have as well but i don't think the technology was quite where it needed to be uh for that to be really a smooth uh uh transition so i think that this this sounds as if it's going to be very uh very interesting and you'll get uh gain a great deal of of data and information that will help other uh museums who who may want to do something similar exactly and i think um you know, I think we 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 know that we will. This will be a project that will evolve. You know, that's one of the great things now about you know digital technology is you're you're never done. You're you're always continuing to refine and improve. And and you know, we fully expect that some components of this will work very well, and that some components will get feedback that you know we'll address as we we get more and more input from visitors. And we're doing some of that now in testing, but. Uh, yeah, we, we look forward to uh, sharing some of that with the community because uh, we think it's another compelling way to bring a, an, an on-site experience together with digital technology and, and to continue to be able to communicate with these visitors and provide them content that we think they will be interested in, in interacting with. Uh, I, I, yes, I, I, I think so as well. Um, did you have any concern that uh, some of this might be a little too personal, a little too rough uh, for some of your visitors? Of course, they can opt out of it, I'm sure, at any time. But uh, let's face it, this was, this was war, and it you know, wasn't just uh, – it, it was hard stuff. You're dealing sure. with some really, really tough stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we know that there's, you know, there there will be mechanisms built into this that for, you know, for young children. That we obviously there's things that we don't think are appropriate for, you know, young children. But, you know, one of the things we found over the 14 years is that, you know, when people come here, they, you know, we 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 want to make sure that uh, people have a, a, you know, a full understanding of how difficult this was and and how horrific it was in some aspects of the war, and that. Uh, we find generally that visitors, you know, want to be given those stories and understand that when they, they come and visit that it's, there's going to be tough parts to this. And, and uh, there will be appropriate, you know, things that we do to, to warn the visitor. But generally, I think it's an expectation that visitors have when they come to the museum that there is going to be some tough content and there are going to be things that are not um, pleasant. And uh, that's, you know, part of war and it's our job I think to you know continue to bring those forward in a way that that sort of gives the visitor the the complete picture of just you know um, what was happening in Europe and the Pacific you know both in terms of you know the experiences that our own GIs and and uh, had as well as you know the the local populations uh, well yes yes I think um I was just remembering when uh, I was talking with Tom Hennis, of course, that's, uh, who was involved in the uh, uh, 
in the uh, World Trade Center um, memorials about yeah. uh, buffering of of the content. Of, you know, obviously that's a a more open wound than uh, World War II, uh, but uh, but I think just equally as important. Uh, I find it uh, fascinating that you know World War II was the you know a war where they embedded soldiers uh, or, or reporters into the war as they do right now, and uh, it was the first uh, first war that was really brought home to uh, to America uh, with uh, with uh, the new technology of film, and yep. now you're just expanding that uh, that technology yep. uh, and to uh, to further interpretation, as you say, particularly to to young people who can uh, imagine uh, a little bit more because it was fought by young people their their own age and yep. uh, and many of us have parents and grandparents uh, who uh, who remember that uh, that war uh, only only too uh, only too well yeah. uh, Stephen it has been uh, just a particular delight to have you on the show today I think that you've you've told us a great deal about uh, about the museum and I can't wait to uh, go to the opening in uh, in December uh, just to uh, to participate in this wonderful event and also um, all of the very important things that that uh, you've talked to us about, particularly about uh, risk taking, and that uh, it's okay to fail once in a while because you learn a great deal uh, from that experience. Uh, thank you so very much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Uh, remember, we will be back next week. In fact, I can uh, uh, tell you that uh, next week we will be talking with Michael Day, uh, the uh, executive director of the uh, Historic Royal Palaces in the United Kingdom, talking about uh, uh, how historic houses are moving beyond uh, talking about objects to talking about uh, people and bringing stories to life. So uh, I hope you join us next week. And may, remember that you can always uh, pick up the programs that you you missed along the way at uh, at uh, carolbossertservices.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening today, and we will be back next week. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.